0: Uh, Happy New Year, if it's not too late to say so. For for some, for many, I don't know when the cutoff date is. I'm going to keep saying it until someone tells me not to. Um, And I I wonder how you're feeling at the start of 2022. I wonder what kind of emotions uh, are flooding your mind. Uh, Don't worry if that flashes. That just tends to be what it does. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, But yes, I wonder how you're feeling at the start of this new year. I wonder... Um, Maybe even as you think about the year that is coming ahead, uh, I wonder what circumstances are are weighing heavily on your mind, either for good or for bad. You know, something you're really looking forward to or something you're uh, nervous about coming down the track. Um, And maybe to help us, and this is why this is here, um, I wonder if you can think of some of the the big news stories that are dominating the culture around us, either uh, for now or news stories that are coming down the track through 2022, what are some of the big things that are that are in our world uh, at the minute? Who's going to say the first most obvious one through their mask? COVID, there we go. COVID is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Northern Ireland Protocol for the guys in the back, spot the civil servant working in Deirah. Northern Ireland Protocol, although some would have you believe it's going to affect all of us. Yep. Anything else? <laughs> I'm just going to say NOVAC. Okay. NOVAC, yep. NOVACs, yeah, I've heard that joke. Yeah, well the, so let's, let's, not, let's not veer into questionable territory. <laughs> Anything else coming up this year or strong in the news at the minute? Okay, fuel costs, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so civil unrest, maybe, in other countries. Uh, I'm glad you said that rather than saying Kazakhstan. Cause. The Queen. Thank you. <laughs> Margaret is, me and Margaret, just uh, we should do some pictionary together or something. This is brilliant. She's creative. She rides. That's what it is. Uh, so the queen with the jubilee coming up. In, yeah, okay. Okay. We'll do one more. Maybe there isn't anything more. No, that's good. Okay. So this is, has this is gone a direction I didn't expect. It was Prince Andrew. Sorry for the guys in the back. Um, yeah, in terms of a big news story, yeah. Okay. I think um, one of the things and one of the reasons why I wanted to, to have a look at this is um, not to highlight any particular of these issues, certainly not to make a comment on many of them at all, but um, just to say that there is a lot in our world that goes on that, that can take our focus... Um, but not only that, and I don't mean to demean some of these issues at all, because some of these are huge issues, absolutely. Um, but what I mean is they take our focus and can contort can our focus and distract our focus from the sovereignty and majesty and power and might of our God. And so sometimes we look at some of these things and maybe some of these things, but maybe for more of us, it's then some personal things that we weren't obviously going to share in this format. Um, But we we go through situations or circumstances and it causes us us to question, is is God in control of this? It it seems like if we were to judge things, it seems like he's not in control. Um, But I wonder, is he still there? Some of these big issues that cause huge questions and doubt and worry and fear maybe. Um, Sometimes if we're honest, we look around and, and wonder, where is God in the midst of this? Now, Now, I have no doubt that from our perspective, some of us may feel like that. However, I I am also completely and wholeheartedly convinced that in the midst of those questions and doubts and fears and anxieties that some of us may have, God has much to say to us. And more than that, as we've been expressing throughout our service this morning, God is greater than, than all of this. Than than anything that we might go through, and and again I say that not in, in a diminishing or downplaying way of the seriousness of some of the things that we are going through, but into the seriousness of whatever it is you might be facing in 2022, please hear the truth and the encouragement that God is greater. And therefore he's worthy to be trusted in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of questions. And I suppose I'm aware too, maybe from my own experience, as well as that from others, that sometimes when we go through those seasons of questioning or doubting or frustration, or maybe it is painful situations that we go through, it it can cause us to question God. It can cause us to, to wonder about our relationship with him. And therefore, it can drive us from him. However, the biblical example is that in those questions and with those questions, we should drive toward God. If we just have a a quick flick through some of the Psalms, we see this so clearly. Uh, And I'll just raise four examples here. And then we're actually going to study Daniel chapter 2 in a few minutes. But let me show you the honesty with which some of the Psalmists come before God in their questioning. And I realize the screen um, is flickering, so apologize for that if it's distracting for you. But um, here is Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me Forever. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and have sorrow in my heart? Day after day have sorrow in my heart. Psalm 22, which is indeed the psalm that Jesus himself said from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 77, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. You see, when when we're in distress, when we find ourselves with those moments and those seasons of question and doubt and concern and worry and fear and anxiety, we're, we're not to diminish those thoughts and then come to God. No, come to God with those things. And actually what the Psalms teach us, what the whole Bible teaches is that that is such a good thing to do because when we come to God, we see Him. We see who He is in the midst of our pain and suffering and questions. Cyril so helpful guided us through the Lord's Prayer on Wednesday evening at our prayer meeting where we began with Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. See, when we come to Him, Our circumstances might not change. All of our pain and questions might not go away instantly. But yet we're we're confronted and met with the glory and power and might and sovereign control of our good, great God. And that changes things. It changed things for the psalmist. You see Psalm 10 goes on to say, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations are will perish from his land. Psalm 13 finishes with this great declaration of praise. My, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Psalm 22, straight after, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verse 3, the psalmist says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. And Psalm 77, tucked in the middle, as your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. You see, when we come to God with our queries, with our doubts, with our praises, that this is not all just when we come to God with him in struggle. But sometimes with the weight of the news that we hear around us, with the circumstances that we find ourselves in, we can find ourselves being, being reluctant to come to God thinking that we have to get all of these emotions and feelings sorted out first. And then we come to him, no, as the great God, we come to him with those things. And when we come to him with those things, we see him in his glory and goodness. And we realize that he is in control and therefore he can be trusted because he is great and he is good. And so... Without, as I say, wanting to minimize or or downplay the significance of some of the trials and struggles that are very real for many of us, and as we face into 2022, um, my my hope is that that as we look at God's word together this morning, we'll see him more clearly, and therefore we, we will see him as trustworthy and good, even in the midst of those times. And my prayer is that we will all see, whatever we're facing, whatever's going on, we will see that God is greater. God is greater and to help us down that path as I said we're going to spend some time by looking at the book of Daniel uh, we're going to look at chapter two those of you with a, a very sharp memory will, rem- will possibly recall on the equivalent Sunday last January we looked at Daniel uh, we looked at Daniel chapter three on that occasion uh, today we're going back a chapter to look at Daniel chapter two and to fill in a little bit of the background, uh, we joined Daniel's story when the Israelites have been taken into captivity by the Babylonians uh, took place about 605 BC and so Daniel and three of his friends um, they they were a clever bunch Uh, they were were commended for their skill and so they were welcomed into the king's service, into Nebuchadnezzar's service. Uh, They were actually considered to be some of his advisors, some of his wise men and and Babylon was was a great city was a successful kingdom in many ways but it was an incredibly difficult environment to be a follower of Yahweh You see, the Jewish people have been brought into captivity, and one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did when he took over a nation was to completely remove any connection with their previous life. So even in Daniel's case, we're told that Daniel and his three friends are given new Babylonian names. They're taught Babylonian culture, Babylonian language, Babylonian religion, and any hint of Jewishness and any hint of worship and service to Yahweh is, is trying to be squeezed out. But Daniel and his three friends, they're committed to following God, whatever the circumstances and consequences might be. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, as we meet in chapter 2, he's a powerful king, a successful king in the history of Babylon. But but he's an unsettled man. In chapter 2, we'll we'll see that he's been troubled by a dream. And it troubled him so much, we see at the start of chapter 2, that that he was losing sleep. We see another dream in chapter 4. Uh, where Nebuchadnezzar is assuming that these dreams are messages from the gods about uh, what he should and how he should lead. And so he, he gathers advisors and teams of people to try to interpret these dreams for him. But chapter 2 is an interesting one because Nebuchadnezzar has one of these strange dreams that he can't understand. that troubles him so much. He calls his advisors together and he asks his advisors to tell him what the dream is and then tell him the interpretation. It's a a big ask, as you can imagine. And some of the the advisors tell him that they simply can't be done yet. Nebuchadnezzar said, If you don't do it, I'm going to literally cut you into pieces and put your houses to the ground, in verse 5. So the advisors panic. They know that they are not able to do this. If Nebuchadnezzar had told them the dream, they might have been able to think of something. But to be able to. Out of nowhere, it would seem, come up with the dream. How would they do this? That surely was not possible for any man. Uh, And so Nebuchadnezzar is enraged, and he he orders the killing of all the wise men in Babylon. And that is going to include Daniel and his his friends, even though they weren't physically there at that meeting. But in verse 12, we're told that that order went out to all the wise men of Babylon. And so Daniel hears the plan, and he approaches the king for more time. And so in verse 16, we see, give me more time and I will find an interpretation for the dream. And we're going to pick up the reading in verse 17. And we're going to read from verse 17 all the way through nearly to the end of the chapter. And we'll we'll stop in verse 47. But, But what I would love for you to see is not only Daniel's response, but also look at the number of times Daniel says something about God's control over this whole situation. God's power, God's might, the reality that God is greater. And so we're going to read from Daniel 2, and as I said, we'll start in verse 17. We'll read all the way down to verse 47. It's a lengthy passage, but it is a wonderful passage. We're going to hear the dream, hear the interpretation of the dream, uh, and how the whole situation plays out. So let me read God's word together, starting in verse 17 of Daniel 2. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No man, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, Your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in presence. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on the feet feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now I will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory in your hands. He has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw, the feet and toes were uh, were made partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with the clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw, the iron mixed with baked clay, so that people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering, and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery to me. We thank God for his word. Uh, And I find this whole scenario uh, fascinating in many ways. On one hand, this this is a great news story. God reveals the dream to Daniel. Daniel shares that dream with the king and in doing so saves the lives of many men. Yet on the other hand, the message and the interpretation that God has given of the dream is not good news. Not certainly for Nebuchadnezzar. It is for him and his kingdom, for God's kingdom, but not for Nebuchadnezzar. But in both of those scenarios, the underlying message is clear throughout the whole passage that God is totally in control. He is greater. And and so let's briefly look at the dream. And then I want to look at Daniel's response to this and how we can learn to live in the reality that God is greater like Daniel was living. And what does this encounter teach us about the authority and the sovereignty of God? Uh, so obviously this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, it, it's depicting this large statue made up of various elements throughout. Uh, and we could find ourselves getting caught up in, in sometimes helpful speculation about what each section of that sculpture and statue means. The kingdoms throughout history that it represents and. Um, But if I could quote Alistair Begg, um, whose book is available here. It's not in here. It's in his book on Daniel. But um, Alistair Begg says this. Rather than engaging in speculation, it's best to restrict ourselves to the point of Daniel's God-given interpretation, to stand back from the painting, as it were, so that we can see the whole thing and the effect the divine artist is wishing to bring through. Here is the main and plain thing. Human history is under the control of God, and he has a purpose which will be achieved. This is Begg's understanding. I'm not saying that the interpretations are unhelpful or the speculation is always unhelpful, but the main point as we step back from this passage is to glory at the reality that God is in control. And that's the message that God is trying to get through to Nebuchadnezzar. It's the message that he was getting through to Daniel. Even how encouraging would this message have been to Daniel. That in the midst of exile in Babylon and the uncertainty of this death threat that was coming, no, Daniel, God is in control. And so through his timeless and inspired word, this is the message for us too. That whatever situations we may be feeling as we head into twenty twenty two, know that God is in control. Be comforted by that, be strengthened by that, be empowered by that as He as we seek to live. Uh, faithfully for him. Let's just look at some of the examples throughout this encounter where we see this this clarity that God is indeed in control. Right from the very start, when Daniel urged his friends to plead for mercy from the God of heaven, and then in verse 19, Daniel praised the God of heaven. Daniel knew where his God was king. He knew where his God's throne was, and it wasn't an earthly throne; it was a heavenly throne. And in that song or poem, he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power and his, or his, sorry. And then Daniel comes before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, Are you able to give me the interpretation? And Daniel says, No one can, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And it's the revealer of mysteries who has given you this dream. And then, isn't it interesting, in the scheme and the scope of Nebuchadnezzar's reign and, and His his earthly success, Daniel shares with him in verse 37, the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed, wherever they live, he has made you ruler. Daniel is sharing God's reality that Nebuchadnezzar is only on the throne because God is in control. Again, later on we see in verse 44, In those times after the the rock has been thrown and dismantled and destroyed the statue, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. In verse 45, the great king or the great God has shown the king what will take place. And then indeed Nebuchadnezzar ends our chapter with, surely your God, Daniel, is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries. See, our God is indeed good, great, sovereign so what, what, what does knowing that, how does that change our response to these situations that we might find ourselves in? Well, let's look at the example of Daniel. And I just want to briefly mention three things, and then we'll finish. So three things that we can see from Daniel's uh, example to us here. Firstly, is Daniel prays. The first thing that Daniel does is pray. When Daniel's made, of this situation, made aware of the situation of the death threat, he asks the king for time and then goes to pray. And in verse 18, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. He urged them to plead for mercy. You see, when we're faced with circumstances where we don't understand what is going on, we should pray. Where we, where we doubt the goodness of people around us, where we wonder where God is in the midst of stuff, let's pray. And I I don't just mean in a a trite, um, kind of unthinking way. No, Daniel urged his friends to plead for mercy. This was earnest, heartfelt cries. You can imagine these four men on their knees pleading before the Lord. And this vision was given through the night. So my assumption is that they prayed through the night for God to show them this mystery see, when we look at the world around us and we wonder how we should respond, we should be people of prayer. And that prayer, as we've already mentioned, that prayer helps our next point because prayer gives us perspective. You see, turning to God in prayer helped Daniel to understand who God was, who God is, and therefore how he could be trusted. In this poem that we see that Daniel said from verse 20 down to 23, Praise be to the name of... Of God forever and ever, wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And so we can trust Him with our prayers. Where? How, how could we put our trust anywhere else? But He is also a personal God. The second half of verse 23 You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. You see, God is the God who who interacts personally. He's the God who answers prayer. He's the God who gives graciously and generously. This great God is the God who we can come before. And when we come before him, we see his power and his might. And it, it, it buoys our hearts. But it also encourages our trust in him. And as we looked at last January, that that confident prayer doesn't always mean that things will work out as we hope. So in Daniel 3, we have Daniel's three friends who are about to be thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing down to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar built. And in response to Nebuchadnezzar's um, declaration that they should be thrown into the fire, this is what his friends say. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is chapter 3 of Daniel, verse 16. We do not need to defend ourselves do you before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the, into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You see, God is able to deliver, but even if he doesn't, he is still worthy of trust because of who he is. So because of who he is, we can trust. You see, our, our trust in God is not based on all the, the good things that he gives us that we want. Our trust in God is based on who he is. And of course, he gives good things, but his giving is done in his timing, in his ways, to his will. And sometimes that doesn't go the way that I would want, but it is always best. And so God is able to save us from the furnace, but if he chooses not to, he's still the one to be praised. And so he's trustworthy because he is always good. He will always work for his glory. He will always work for his will, and his will is always good. It is for our eternal good. Leslie pointed this out to us so clearly last week that we can have this confident hope that God will accomplish his plans. That is his nature. And his plans are ultimately for his glory and for our eternal good. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could say to Nebuchadnezzar, we will be delivered from your hand, Nebuchadnezzar, because either we will be saved from the fire or we will go to be with our Lord. We will be saved from your hand, Nebuchadnezzar, because you are not the one in sovereign control. here. And so our prayer gives us perspective. And then from there, we see Daniel participating. He prays, he adjusts his perspective to understand and trust in his God, and then he acts. He acts in obedience to what God had told him to do and the interpretation that he had given him. And Daniel approaches the king and he shares this interpretation. And as we said, this interpretation could be considered to be risky to share because it culminates. and, And it's about the downfall of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and the downfall of the kingdoms that would follow. And then the culmination in the kingdom of God being established. So for King Nebuchadnezzar, he might not have wanted to hear that, but that was the interpretation. That was the message that God had given to Daniel. And so that was what he was going to share. And he does so faithfully. And that message is about God's kingdom. This mountain that covers the whole earth. And that, that would take centuries to fulfill that prophecy and that interpretation. But Daniel, full of faith and full of trust, shares that message anyway. And then, 600 years later, Jesus, God, Emmanuel, comes to earth. And in his first recorded words in Mark's gospel, we see him saying, Mark 1.15, The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. See, the kingdom was coming. And the kingdom continues to extend as God moves mightily and powerfully around our world and among us as his people. But Daniel didn't see that in his day. But he knew that God's message was one to be participated in. He knew that he had to be faithful with the word that God had given him to do. And the message that Jesus then came with that the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. That's the message which he passed on to his followers. That's the message which his followers passed on around first century Judah and Palestine. That's the message which he then tells, Jesus then tells all of us, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I am with you surely, surely I am with you to the end of the age. That's a message of the kingdom of God, that kingdom of repent, repent, Turn from your sin. Turn to God. That's the message that we still must carry as his followers. And so we we get to participate in his mission. So if if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, then, then he calls you to be a faithful, obedient ambassador for him. And that's a marvelous grace of his, isn't it? He doesn't need our help, yet he invites us in. And so we can participate in his mission fueled by prayer with that glorious understanding and perspective that he is greater. And so whatever it is that we might go through, whatever opposition we might face as we live out his mission that he's given us, we know that he is greater. And so, so how can we participate in that mission for him this week? How can we live as 2 Corinthians says is that aroma of Christ this week, as ambassadors of his kingdom? What does it mean for each of us to participate in faithful obedience to him as he continues to extend his kingdom here? What does it look like in our homes, in our workplaces, in our classrooms, with our neighbors? To faithfully live out this wonderful mission. of Being part of the kingdom of God and therefore telling others around us the kingdom of Jesus is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So as we draw to our clues this morning, I hope you can see that in the light of some of the difficult and trying circumstances that we face, either personally or, yes, in our world, we can sing with confidence, just like we have done, how great is our God. How great is our God. The splendor of a king. And from the accountant Daniel, we can take courage from his example to pray, which will help us to change our perspective. And therefore, empowered by his spirit, emboldened by his truth, we go and participate with him in his mission. And we are agents of his kingdom as we go around our world. And what a wonderful way it is to live, to be bringers of God's hope and God's truth and God's peace and God's mercy. And as we do that, doesn't that show the world around us of God's great love, of God's great plan, of God's great eternity that he has for us, of his greatness. And so as followers of Jesus, as we enter into 2022, my prayer is that we will be people of prayer, people who have our eyes fixed on him, and people who are actively participating in what he calls us to do. All with the understanding and with the knowledge and with the assurance that our God is greater. Shall we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the mystery of your word. Thank you, Father, that that in your word you, you give us this wonderful appreciation that you are great. And our words can't really comprehend what that means or explain rightly what we're trying to express. But, Father, we see your sovereign hand at work. We see your your eternal control. We see you as sitting on that throne of all eternity, knowing that one day everyone will bow the knee before you. And so I pray, Father, that you would help those of us who have already bowed the knee to your Son, have already accepted your offer of forgiveness of our sins, Father, that you would send us out to be people of prayer with our eyes fixed on you, actively and obediently, faithfully living out the call that you place on our lives. Father, I pray for those who might be here or those who might be listening who don't know you yet, Father, I pray that you would show yourself to them as the great God, the one who is to be worshipped, the one who is to be adored, the one who is holy, the one who will bring judgment and the one who offers salvation. And so, Father, we pray how wonderful it is that we even can call you Father. Father, we pray that your will will be done. That your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And and Lord, may you help us to trust. And God, for those who are facing difficulty and trial, for those who are going through seasons of questions or doubt, or, or, or you just can't see your goodness, God, would you make it clear? Thank you that you do not change. That you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as Daniel trusted in you, we want to trust in you. As Daniel sought you, we want to seek you. As Daniel was obedient to you, we want to be obedient to you. Would you help us, we pray. And may it all be for your glory. Your renown. Amen. Amen. Just before we turn to um, a passage in Hebrews, can I just clarify something that I mentioned um, when talking about the statue and the various elements of the statue uh, I think I might have been a bit flippant there in saying that let's not get caught up in what that means and um, there's, there's very clear direction there that even in the statue and in the what the statue represents of the kingdoms that did follow Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdoms that did stumble and fall, the kingdoms that were divided, perfectly described by God in Daniel 2, even that shows God's greatness so I, I wasn't wanting to to brush over as if that statue doesn't matter, nor does God's word matter as it so eloquently explains the statue. That wasn't what I was meaning. Uh, but even in the detail of the statue, we see God's goodness and greatness. Just the, the step back to see the, the wider picture was what I was hoping for. So apologies if I, if I was uh, disingenuous there with the, the, with the text. But as we, as we think about the sacrifice of sin that has been made for us. We know that through, New Te- or through Old Testament times, that sacrifice was made by priests on behalf of the people. And yet we see in Jesus, we see the greater sacrifice. We see the greater priest. And so I wanted to just read some verses from, Rome, uh, from Hebrews chapter 7. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the, guarant- the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there may have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. not that a glorious reality? He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. In verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. This is our great high priest. Jesus who offered himself that even though he was holy and pure and blameless and set apart, he he took on our sin upon himself, bearing the wrath and, and judgment of God for that sin. And yet he rose victorious, proving his greatness over sin and death and the enemy. And so his sacrifice, once for all, was made when he offered himself. And that sacrifice was for sins. And so we come to remember this meal, and we we recognize that it was for our sins that he died. And so we want to come with thankful hearts, with confessing hearts, with joyful hearts, proclaiming hearts, to say, thank you, Jesus, that you sacrificed yourself took the penalty of my sin so that through my repentance and my trust in you that I may know your holiness and blamelessness credited to my account. And so this is why we come. And so if you're walking in fellowship with Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to him, we'd love for you to join in this meal as we share in the bread and the cup, the bread that speaks to us of his body broken for us, the blood poured out represented by the cup So if you're in fellowship with Jesus and seeking to glorify him through your life, we'd love you to to join with us as we share in this meal. But let's spend some time laying our hearts, examining our hearts before the Lord. And then we'll share in this wonderful meal together as the office bearers distribute the elements. So let's take some time in quietness. If you'd like to pray a prayer of thanks, of confession, then please do that. Encourage all of us. And then I'll give thanks for the elements and we'll distribute them out.